Hello, and welcome to another episode of Seeking First. I am Shayna Harvey, your hostess and owner of Insight Total Stewardship. We have a special episode today. We are still in our Money on Purpose series, and today we are going to be talking to Carla Cruel, who is, uh, what? She said, what's up? Oh, she said, what's up, y'all? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Carla, well, first and foremost, let me say this. Um you may have a hard time distinguishing our voices <laughs> because we do sound alike as many a person, including her own mother, has told us. So if in at any point in this podcast you are not sure who's talking, we'll try to make sure that we uh, identify ourselves at random places throughout the podcast. <laughs> but uh, Carla is a an attorney. She uh, is a proud uh, graduate of girls high school. She was yes. born right here in uh, West Philadelphia. Born and raised. Born and raised. Um, went to Drexel University for undergrad, where she majored in education. Mm-hmm. But started out as in engineering. Yeah, engineering major, math. Uh, switched to education with a concentration in mathematics. Ah, oh, so she's she's not smart at all. Um, <laughs> no, <Nope>. but. <laughs> But uh, then came, became a teacher yes. um, for a number of years. How many years were you teaching? In total, 10 years. So three mm-hmm. years for the school district of Philadelphia, four and a half years um, in Japan. And then um, the remaining remaining um, and university level as well as uh, charter school. So 10 years total, inclusive of a roughly five-year stint in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she came back here and went to law school um, and went back to Drexel, Drexel Law. So she's a proud graduate of yes. the Drexel University Law School um, and now is the owner of the Legal Empowerment Group. Tell us a little bit about the Legal Empowerment Group. Um, so in short, it is a low bono law firm created low bono, low bono. So, so not pro bono, right? Meaning free, free. but low, low bono. bono. Did you coin that phrase? I did not. I oh. wish that I did. But the, this is a it, so there's a access to justice movement around the country. And um, the first time I heard of low bono was Cooney Law School in New York hmm. that um, encourages their graduates to come out, start practicing and do low bono, which means giving access to legal services to people who normally don't have it. So hmm. um, my firm is a sliding scale law firm is based on the person's income. Um, I do education consultation and representation. Uh, the goal really is to sort of cut some of the costs by allowing the client to do what they can do mm-hmm. instead of, you know, you don't really need to pay your lawyer to put a stamp on an envelope. Right? Right, right, um, right. But but you're char- they're charging you um, six. Uh, what is it? Six every six minutes. Um, oh. for services. <laughs> so if they pick up a phone and talk on the phone for 30 seconds or one minute, you pay for six minutes. Oh, wow. Um, and when you think about that from a $300 an hour or $400 an hour, that's, you know, a good chunk of money. So what I do is I try to, um, put myself in the shoes of the client and make sure that, you know, if, if I charged you for six minutes, you got six minutes worth of work. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So 
Yeah, I don't think I knew that they were charging in six minute increments, which is why people are so like anti lawyer. Yes. Calling lawyer. Like, no, it's going to cost me money. Yes. Um, so, what you actually need is a low bono lawyer uh, when you need these types of services. And even structuring your practice that way, um, I think it's going to dovetail into in this week's episode and your personality for finances. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, Carla is also running for city council in the fourth district, which is inclusive of which parts of West Philly? The West, West Philly. West, West, West Philly. <laughs> so north of Market and west of 54th Street. Oh, yeah, that still doesn't mean anything. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> like Carroll Park, Carroll Park, Haddington, Winfield. Winfield, Overbrook, Overbrook Park, Overbrook Farms. Okay. Um, and then Maniunk, East Falls. Oh, I forgot. West Parkside. West Parkside. Um, uh, Maniunk, East Falls. A sliver of North Philadelphia, a sliver of uh, Mount Airy and Roxborough. Okay. A sliver of Mount Airy too? Yeah. So it's it's west of the Wissahickon. So there's uh, that little sliver that is right. on the Wissahickon Avenue. Gotcha. So she is running uh, for a city council against uh, Curtis Jones. That's his district, right? That is right. And she's running as an independent. So not as a Democrat or a Republican, but an independent. Um, which tells into my money. I was <laughs> <laughs> also going to talk about um, the, this money thing. Um, but yeah, so she's got a lot going on. Um, a low bono attorney. I think I really love that phrase, low bono. Mm-hmm. I think I just like how it sounds too. Though. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, it, so we are unbundling legal services. And the thing is, is that it actually is an affordable, it's a way if done properly for solo practitioners to actually make a living and do good to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not something that is being taught, discussed in most law schools. So people think, oh, big law firm or government or nonprofit work. That's it. Uh, but, uh, most people don't even consider the idea of just practicing law in a socially responsible way. And is it because I know lawyers tend to come out of law school quite often with a lot of debt. Yeah. Is, is that part of the factor for why? Like if you come out with 90 or $100,000 worth of student loan debt. You probably aren't thinking necessarily about low bono law. Yeah. So I think because we're getting advice from older attorneys, um, we don't think about it. But now the for student loans, you can do income based repayment. Right. Mm-hmm. So as you're building your practice, you actually don't have to pay back. A whole bunch of money. And by going to those big law firms, you're actually putting yourself in a position of not having a lot of money because you're making so much money on paper mm-hmm. that you can't really do income based. So you're like paying $2,000, $1,000 a month back in student loans. And you're like, oh, I got to make more money so that I can do stuff versus, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an income based. And um, it went up for a period of time. It went back down because I'm running for office and had to stop practicing as much. But um, I was paying like a hundred dollars a month oh. <laughs> back for student loans versus if I was at a big law firm making, let's say, ninety thousand dollars a year, I I probably would have been paying back twelve hundred a month. Mm-hmm. But that also means you pay back the loan faster, right? If you're paying more towards it. Mm, yeah, not necessarily. So um, if you can 
show that the work that you're doing is of service to the community. There are ways that you can request some of the um, modifications that people are getting in the nonprofit industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then for the income base for nonprofit attorneys, I think it's 10 to 12 years. I can't remember what it is where they wipe out your debt because right. you've been doing the work. So as a low bono attorney, um, and one of the things that I did with them was I, I can justify that the work that I'm doing is really public interest work. Right. right. And so then you get the benefits of the teachers, the nonprofit exactly. uh, workers who after 10 years get their loans forgiven. Yeah. So you practice low bono law for 10 years. And then, of course, you have to pay tax on the money that is forgiven. Yeah. So you should make sure for all you who are listening out there, uh, loan forgiveness is great, but you do pay tax on that money. Uh, when it is forgiven in that year. So we'll do a special episode on student loans anyway. Um, but this is good for those who might want to practice law and help people, but also uh, be out there um, as an attorney making money um, and doing this. So we're going to get into the uh, the meat of this episode and talk about money on purpose. Um, <laughs> and the financial personality that we're discussing today is called the flyer. Now, what is a flyer? I wasn't surprised that Carla came out as a flyer, um, knowing her for so long. I've known Carla, I guess, since like 2002, something like that. 2001, 2002, we met at church um, and uh, just connected while she was in Japan, uh, even more so, uh, which is ironic. Yes. Um, she went halfway across the world and we was like, oh yeah, now we're friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and that's both of us laughing. Right, right, right. In case you can't tell. Uh, so close that you can't actually distinguish our voices. Um, but it, in the midst of her travels uh, and all of that, I was not surprised that she came out as a flyer because Carla actually doesn't care about money. And so here are uh, here's the the personality type uh, of a flyer. A flyer is perhaps the most unusual money personality because they don't think much about money at all. They are not anxious about it. They are not consumed by it. They have absolutely no emotional response to money, which is so rare. So were you surprised, Carla? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Because even answering the questions, I was like, there were times when I said, okay, I have to give an answer. But I thought, I don't care. (laughs) As I was actually answering the questions. Who cares? (laughs) Right. So yeah, I wasn't gay because I, I lived with Carla as well. So I know she doesn't care about money. She literally has no response to it. It's like a necessary evil for her. Like, that is, oh, we have it. to do this? Oh, I guess then I need to think about it yes. at some point in time. Yes. <laughs> I think that I, I think the my my personality has changed a little bit around money and it really came from like so there are things that I do now. And taking care of being more financially responsible that I didn't do before. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's all because I'm trying to teach a lesson. 
So I'm doing it with the intention of trying to prove a point. Like when I combed my locks out, because everyone said, oh, you get locks, you got to shave your hair off to get rid of them. And I kept saying, no, you don't. If you understand the concept of what a lock is, it's not true. And everyone <laughs> kept telling me I was wrong. So I combed my locks out to prove a point. And then the next month I started my locks back. So same thing with money. I've been more responsible, but it was because I felt like everyone was rejecting the points that I was trying to teach people. Mm. And one day it dawned on me that everyone else around me is valuing money. And so I'm trying to make a point to people where we're not even starting off on the same page. So I decided that I needed to understand everyone else's point of view first Mm -hmm. so that I could prove them all wrong. <laughs> that laugh felt real sinister. <laughs> like, it's like, yes, I'm going to do this very noble thing just to prove them wrong. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We look forward to how that experiment comes but, out. And, and what is what does that even look like? Like, what what are you doing now that you weren't doing before? And what is your intended outcome? So, so. I can't go in that order. I'm going to go backwards and, okay. and answer that. But I, one, I think people don't realize that money doesn't really exist. It, it's, it, it, it's a value system, right? The more mm-hmm. we value it, the more it has value, right? Right. And so it literally is actually a piece of paper that we're using to share and trade amongst one one another. And we're saying, hey, I value this thing at this particular amount, right? And then we're all convinced to value that thing at that same amount, right? Right. So what I, one of the things I tried to do was stay like slightly broke, but, (laughs) (laughs) but get my credit score really high. Okay. Um, Because, because people buy so much into the system of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that if I could do one and have the other at the same time, people would be more likely to question and say, how is that working for you? And then I could start the conversation about what is money? <laughs> how do we really <laughs> value money? That it's it's really, you know, why so many people who are great at finances and developing, like opening doors for themselves financially are often really good at the game of Monopoly, right? Yes, yes. Because it's a game, it's not real, <laughs> yes. right? So I I just, you know, I, I have between you and Ish, all of those years of hearing stuff that you guys would talk about, I said, okay, so this is what you're supposed to do. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it in a way that I maintain one thing while also increasing my credit score. So I think in, what is it from, so I'm still very broke, rarely have a lot in my bank account. (laughs) Um, uh, But I do what I want for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, This rare that I have like a limitation that I put on myself, Mm -hmm. but I would say from 2015 to 2019, so that's four years, I increased my credit score almost 200 points. So what are you at now? I, I So I lost points because of running for office and I'm not working full time. But um, when I started this year, I was at 795. 795. Yeah. But broke. 
but broke, broke, uh, broke in 795. Yeah. And I, when I first came back from Japan in 2008, I was at 630. I uh, know 530. 530. I was at 530 okay, in 2008. Yeah, that's bad credit. That's super bad credit. <laughs> that's why I couldn't get anything. Couldn't right. buy a card and I had nothing. And then you you went on this experiment yeah. to increase your credit score to prove a point. Yes. So most people out there want to increase their credit score because they want to get stuff like a house or a car. Nope, don't want to. I don't want to like, buy house. any of that. But I do want to prove a point. I would like to teach people how to be free. <laughs> um, and so many people, so many people, I've gotten the advice of you can't help others until you help yourself first, and mm-hmm. you got to have more before you can do this. And if you had more money, you could just give it away and then you'd help a whole bunch of people. But you know, that's not teaching a man to fish. That's giving a man to fish. So I believe that if we want to change our lives and truly be free, that means not being slave to anything, including capitalism and money and um, stuff, consumerism and mm-hmm. all the things that when you're dead, you don't take with you, right? All the things that God has no value for at all. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why we spend so much of our energy valuing things that have no eternal value. <laughs> so this is a classic example of a flyer. Um, <laughs> and here, here are some of the descriptions of a flyer. Um, basically, they're content with their life. A flyer may be dirt poor, living in an airstream out by the highway, but doesn't care. As long as a flyer is making his own choices, he's happy. And you heard a little bit of that in what Carla was saying. I basically do what I want. That was a quote. (laughs) I basically do what I want, whether I have money or don't have money. So that is a classic example of the uh, flyer personality type. I think a more classic example is quitting your job and deciding to move to a foreign country with no savings <laughs> and then getting on a plane to move with only $900 in your bank account. Yeah, that would be another flyer move. <laughs> so, yeah, things that would cause me angst. Um, and I would think through it and process through it. And I, I was probably still do it, but it would cost me a lot more in time and energy to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, a lot of those uh, places in my life where I've done crazy stuff like that has been at the prompting of God mm. to tr- to help me to do that. Mm. Um, but she does it naturally. Like <laughs> that is her actual personality to do it. Me, God's got to be like, it's me. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, well, if you're telling me, then it's okay. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. That's <laughs> because, you know, like, just like my my feeling about money really goes into I feel like I'm on a journey here um, inside of time and inside of it. like that we are spiritual beings encased in a physical body. And so, yes, Donald Lawrence. <laughs> so, so I just, you know, I I just I can't like every time I start focusing on things that are super tangible. Um, I start to feel like empty, like that mm-hmm. I that I've misplaced myself. It, it's sort of mm-hmm. like I just got I got lost in a jungle when I had the map, but for some reason, and the map was in my head, 
And there's no reason for me to be lost in this jungle. But for some reason, I'm lost. That's what I feel whenever I focus on money or things or, you know, anything that human beings could create. Mm -hmm. If we could create it, I don't value it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like airplanes, man. (laughs) Don't value it. Vaccines, eh, maybe. No, not much. Because there, so I think of everything in sort of this normative distribution curves and, and like the balancing of things that everything has a benefit and a detriment, right? But I think that when human beings do something, we are always seeing in part and not seeing the whole. And so even if we focus on the benefit, there is a detriment that often we don't see until the other side. Right. I think that when I think about God's planning of stuff, I feel like to us, when we judge it, we see benefit detriment. Mm -hmm. When he creates, it's always perfect, like perfected. It's never, there is no cost benefit. It's just the cost is always good. (laughs) Right. Right. Because because he's good. Right. So he he can't can't actually produce something that doesn't have value. Right. right, right, right. So if you're looking in, in a short time, like even for me being frustrated in this process of running for city council, it's frustrating for me because I'm taking a very earthly perspective on it at times. But when I take a spiritual perspective of it, all things work together for good. So right. like I, it's just it's sometimes I get mad at myself for falling into the trap of looking at things from my point of view. Right. Like from my earthly point of view. Well, I mean, in fairness, there there's not another point of view that's natural to you to look at. <laughs> that's why they call things supernatural, because mm-hmm. they're above natural means. Oh, I like that. I, I'll accept that. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you for accepting my statement. <laughs> so have you always been like this, like even as a kid, or is this something that evolved over time my my understanding from my family and even my own memories I've always been like this um I was often frustrating for uh family members with my questions of why and uh (laughs) did it have value I I distinctively remember a time when my mother said if you ask why one more time right I'm going to spank you. Like, I just cannot handle your your why. And my dad was like, no, this is great. Like, encourage the why. Encourage her to question everything. And so, you know, I remember, so I have an older brother who's five years older than me. And he was going to visit friends. Um, I, I guess I might have, I know I was in elementary school, so I was under 10 years old. And so he went, he goes over to visit some friends who are living better than us. They have more money. Right. And um, I used to go over to my aunt's house in Mount Airy. And just because of the way my family talked about Mount Airy and the fact that it had grass in the front, mm-hmm. um, I assumed that they were like rich, right, mm-hmm. that they had a lot of money. And so I distinctively remember a time when my, my brother was like complaining to my parents about stuff we didn't have. And I was thinking. Yeah, but like my aunt and them have that stuff and they look happy all the time, you know. <laughs> and I remember like a really good friend of mine who came from a family that's have a lot of money and they have a lot of prestige and their name matters. 
And I knew all of the ick in the back of their life. So in my head, the more money you got, the worse off your life was. Like mm. that, I, I think I started to ingest this idea probably around seven or eight years old. Mm. I, and, and everybody who was all who was good to me and like loving and compassionate were always people who had to count their pennies. So I thought, oh, like if you have a lot of money, you're further away from God. The oh. little money you have, you're closer to God and you 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 love people and you care for people and you value people. And people who have lots of money value money and they're anti-God, right? Because money to me became the devil. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you then extrapolated that yes. to uh, all of life. And like, yes, the more money you have, the further away from God yes. you are. Yes. And, and that's not necessarily true obviously. no I don't right. I don't think that's true now because I've met people with money who have like amazing hearts mm -hmm. but um I do think that there is a culture uh surrounding money that does tend it, it's sort of like the the scripture when the the rich young ruler when mm -hmm. Jesus is talking to him I do think that when people feel like they can gain stuff on their own right they're less likely to to include God in the process of their life, right? right? And so, um, and they pay, place a lot of worth in those things. Um, so it's not the money per se. It's just that we we are taught to value this thing so much that the more you have it, the more you can do, the more freedom you supposedly have. But not true. No. Yeah. No, and I mean, scripture cautions us against the love of money, clearly, mm -hmm. in more than one place, and also cautions us against attributing things to money or anything else that is actually God. Uh, and to caution, even when you, in Deuteronomy 8, and he's they're about to cross over into the, the promised land, and yes. he's like, okay, don't forget that it's the Lord who gives you the power to create wealth. So basically, it's not you doing this. He's giving you the power because there's something in it for his purposes. And then when we don't use it for his purposes, well, then he got mad and started destroying stuff, too. Exactly. In the Old Testament. And, so, and that's the other thing. It's like, so growing up, I was super into understanding. I needed to know the why behind everything. and um, I read scripture to understand it. And I find it interesting that, you know, repeatedly in scripture, whenever the Israelites got themselves in trouble. It was often surrounding money, mm -hmm. then, right? And then I think about the times when, so for for me, I'm always thinking about like, well, it happened this way, but it could have happened another way. So why this way, not that way, right? right. So God could have sent the Israelites out of Egypt with stuff, but he didn't. He sent them out and had them live off of manna, right? He gave them- Well, he did send them out with stuff initially. It just not a. It, it was, was enough. It was, it was enough. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He sent them out where he With told them to access. gather all the stuff from the Egyptians, which is kind of bossy. Like, well, literally. I think it's funny because when you think about why they got the stuff that the Egyptians got, right? It was because of Joseph. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he so, sent them out with basically what was theirs. Yeah. Reparations. <laughs> basically, it was basically God, God was in favor of it. But I mean, he could have sent them out with excess. I mean, he's God, right? So he could have sent them out and said, okay, y'all go and y'all take 
everything. Mm-hmm. Leave them with nothing. Matter of fact, y'all just going to cross over this river, build your own city. I'm going to collapse the other one. Right? Right, right. Matter of fact, I'm just going to open up the earth and swallow them whole, which he did. Which he did. Right. Once. That yeah. was one of my favorite scriptures. But, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but needless to say, like he he decided to be present with them and like mm-hmm. to fill them with that and, and to give them manna. And then every time they kept an excess of that, he would destroy it. Right. Right. And then when Jesus came along, what did he say? Eat me, drink me. Like I am your f- enough. Like I, so he is the living wo- bread, the, the living water, water and the bread, bread that came from heaven. Exactly. Yeah. And so like in my head, it's just like, I don't, I don't want any of the things that, can decay if I kept extra of it. But I want the thing that is like eternal and just will continue to fill me over and over. Makes sense. So clearly um, there is this association of uh, disconnect from God to connection with money. Mm -hmm. Deep connection with money quite often leads to disconnection from God. Which in a capitalist world, what do you need God for if you got money? A lot of people would agree with you, right? <laughs> because, and even there's a scripture that says money uh, answers all things, right? Um, now it doesn't say it's the right answer. True, <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly. an answer. It, it, exactly, um, that's in Proverbs somewhere. Uh, money answereth all things, and people are quick to quote that when you start talking about money. But he never said it was the right answer. But it mm-hmm. does answer some things. Um, and there, there are some some values to money that we can show. Um, but really, and this is what I think part of what you've been talking about uh, shows up in your flyer personality. Flyers are big on relationships. Mm-hmm. For flyers, relationships and connections with other people are crucial. Flyers will often put relationships above money. Oh my gosh, I have a perfect example of that happening. (laughs) Yes. So when I started Legal Empowerment Group, I started it with a partner who was a friend of mine. And then when he transitioned out and went somewhere else, um, I brought someone else on. um, And we were having issues. Um, We had different perspectives of what the intentions and the roles were and what was going to happen, Um, particularly because she wanted to make more money. And the the same thing with the um, my partner. It was like, you know, I have these goals and I need money to take care of it or I have a family and I need money. And I'm thinking, right, we're doing low bonus. Nobody knows this is going to take time to build. Mm -hmm. Right. You're just not going to have it. And so. I didn't want to lose the friendship, so I literally shut down my business for a year so that she could fade into her own. I said, I will figure something else out. Got rid of all my clients, didn't practice (laughs) because um, I didn't want to just push her out, Mm -hmm. keep practicing and lose the friendship. I would rather maintain the friendship and lose the money than anything else. And so I had like all of this debt. So I was like literally taking client here and there to pay off the debt related to her and him, mm-hmm. but nothing to actually build the business because I wanted it to be somewhat insolvent so that it was clear, like you are more important to me than this business. I will drop my business before I lose a relationship. And is she taking it that way? 
I think so. I, we still are friends, right? Okay. So, like, um, you know, it was contentious for a period of time. There was lots of confusion. Um, I was very—I thought I was very clear. She thought she was very clear. Um, we were like on totally different pages, and I, and I was like, I will not let money interfere with a relationship. I just can't. I can't. I I cannot do it. And so I was like, I'm just not going to, I'm going to go get another job and not run the business. <laughs> so that is uh, clearly a flyer personality trait that she let her entire business go mm-hmm. for the sake of one friendship. I sure will. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it again at the heartbeat. In the heartbeat. And here, here's another uh, personality trait of a flyer. They're happy to let someone else take care of their money. This can be a big plus in relationships, especially if the other partner enjoys handling the money decisions. So a good romantic partner, even for you, somebody who could probably handle money, but they would also have to be able to flow with your flyer personality. So that is because that's like it's almost like those are two different things. Um, So a person who actually cares about money and likes handling it would probably be super frustrated with somebody who doesn't care about it at all. That could explain issues in my relationship (laughs) that I have never actually considered. (laughs) Yes. But having that balance is critical because they have to appreciate who you are relative to your money personality. Mm-hmm. while also understanding that they will probably be the one to handle the majority of it. Mm-hmm. That is a difficult thing to find. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then here's one that I want to talk about in light of you running for office. One of the personality <laughs> traits. Um, not motivated by money. Most flyers end up living exactly the lives they want to live because they make choices based on what they want, not what will make them the most money. Mm-hmm. So now how do you see that playing out? Because ideally you would want a politician who does that, right? Who basically is not encumbered by money or the pursuit of money, but we rarely see that type of person in office. Right. So how have you reconciled this? I haven't. So, <laughs> so um, I am terrible at fundraising. Mm. because the method now I just spoke with a a woman who I what I did was I decided to seek out a fundraiser who is not a political fundraiser but who run who um fundraises for social justice causes Mm -hmm. because it's a different mentality but the traditional fundraising mentality for a candidate is very transactional you call people up no matter how long you haven't talked to them and say hey I'm running for office can you give me some money? Right. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I can't do that. Right. Cause <laughs> I, what win or lose at the end of this, I want to maintain those relationships, even if they weren't close. I, I never want anyone to say, yeah, I hear from Carla in 10 years that she's going to call me up and ask me for money. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, it's okay. It's how you run for office. And I'm like, it's not okay. It's using people. <laughs> it's basically saying you only have value to me because I need you right now. And then, and, oh, this was the other thing that pissed me off. I was told, and if they don't give you money, you know how they really feel about you. And I was oh. like, no, that is not true. <laughs> like, I, you you can't treat people like they are just a means to your end, mm-hmm. right? That's not, that's not so. I decided to take a very different approach to fundraising. 
Um, the problem with that is it takes more energy. And right now I'm by myself. So that's been burning me out. Mm-hmm. But um, I think as it, so I've been told over and over again to, by people, you are like the perfect candidate, the perfect politician, but I don't think you can win. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I hear that. Cause you don't have enough money. Nobody. It, it's funny. Like people want you to be X at, they want you to be this way as the politician, mm-hmm. but they want you to be a different way as a candidate. And I'm like, you do realize that what you do as a candidate is going to influence how you behave as a politician. I think we're seeing the fruit of that in our nation. Right exactly. <laughs> like, and and, and I, I'm so so. My favorite book is 1984 because I feel like it describes everything that always goes on. So I can always like between the matrix and 1984, I feel like I can explain everything. In life. <laughs> but they, they have this term in there called double think when you hold two separate things true that cannot be true at the same time, but you hold them both true at the exact same time. A double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like we're living in the time of double think. They're like, we want you to be a servant of the community, but we want you to use the community to get in the office. Mm-hmm. Wait, I can't. I can't see them as people that I'm here to serve and use and manipulate them at the same time. Yeah. So this is clearly causing some level of frustration in your campaigning. Yes. Uh, and your fundraising. And people who want to support me because they're like, uh, you know, wow, you're great, but you're never going to win because you keep, mm-hmm. you know, you really want to help the people. It's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah. So <laughs> we end up with candidates who don't really want to help Correct. people, but who can act like it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Was that influential at all in your decision to run as an independent? Hugely. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was hugely. I um, felt like the machine that runs, that is behind all of the candidates that run, the people who really run Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, I felt like by trying to run as a Democrat or Republican, I never run as a Republican, but trying to run as a Democrat, um, even, sorry, got to go back. Even though I see Democrats as flip sides of the same coin, um, now I would never run as a Republican because it's the same as walking around and saying, you know, you're a Christian but you had hold very different values than most Christians. So people are like, they hear the word Christian and they're like, oh, well, I already know X, Y, and Z about you, right? right. So to run as a Republican, there's certain things that are going to be assumed that aren't true about me. So I'm much more inclined towards the, the Democrats on paper, right. Right? right? But I decided to run as an independent simply because I wanted the people to have another choice and I wanted them to say, you know what? None of it has been working for us. No one, they're, they're not seeing us. They're not listening to us. So let's uh, do it all differently. Well, it worked for uh, Bernie Sanders. Yes. He was an independent. And, uh, where's he from? Vermont? Yes. Uh, yeah. He has, he's been there for a very long time as an independent. Uh, he just happens to run on the Democratic ticket for president yeah. because he feels like that's what he would have to do. To what win. you have to do. Yep. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, running as an independent certainly has, uh, possibilities and fits more in alignment with who I am, who you are. Um, now here's the crazy thing. Let's talk about money. Yeah. So what's funny is that, 
I, I mean, I guess it's sort of consistent, but on the surface, it looks inconsistent. One of the things that super frustrates me is overtaxing people, right? <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> so that's very Republican. Of it you. does, right? <laughs> and it's it's very it's super money focused. But I'm but I'm coming from the perspective of like one of the reasons that people are so poor is because you're taking all of their money, mm-hmm. right? And then these social services that spend more money on infrastructure. And, and hiring people than they do actually resolving the issues. Right. Um, so we like, oh, we're going to tax you and then we're going to take all of the money and put it towards, you know, the nonprofits who are going to help maintain the structure of the system that is keeping you poor. Right. <laughs> I remember uh, having my first real glimpse of this and working for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I was running a program where the funder of the program was actually the problem we were solving. I'm like, well, there's no way they're going to give us money to fix what they're making money off of. Right. This is ridiculous. Right. Like, they were actually the culprits. They were functioning under a different name. But it's the same. With the issue that we were trying to solve. Oh, absolutely. And they gave us a little measly amount of money to try to fight their big money. And I was like, oh, this is rigged. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, we're, they're not hoping that we even do anything. They just make yeah. us feel good exactly. in the process. And that's what that's how I feel about like charity. Why, why when people tell me, oh, just make a lot of money and give it away. And I'm like, but that's, that's not what we need, right? right? Like what we need is we need an infrastructure where everybody has the opportunity, a real opportunity to thrive, right? And so um, like I, I'm... I'm not running for a national office, but I'm totally for a universal basic income. Like to like get rid of all of the welfare systems that we have. Right. Completely. Get rid of them all. Give everybody a universal basic income. Right. And then people go out and get jobs. And guess what? The person who really couldn't work, whether it's physical, mental, um, some other, they have just enough that they need to live and survive. And guess what? That's good for some And not come out and rob other people. Correct. So if you rob because you ain't got no money, it's because you just wanted a whole lot more. Yeah. Not because you were literally starving. Or the people who are actually beginning to take drugs and getting addicted to drugs because they're trying to escape the generations of oppression or just all the different types of harms that they've had. Just imagine if you believed, you believe things could get better, mm-hmm. right? Versus expecting that things will never get better. Right. And that gives them, hope is really a, uh, a powerful weapon. Yes. But when people lose it, it also becomes the, a worst enemy, like ever. Because if you, a, a hopeless person is actually more dangerous. That's right. To society. That's right. <laughs> I, I said, I wrote uh, on a piece of paper once that I was going to go testify at city council. Because they're all the, doing these bills on housing and, um, po- you know, we're fixing poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I would say, I just want to say one thing for all of your bills. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sword and then run? Right? And just go through the hole and then leave and and let everybody think about that. And I'm like, you are creating the space for a dream deferred to explode. Either do better 
you you assume that you're going to be able to push everybody out and maybe you'll push them out before they they revol- you have a revolution in here but at some point you're hitting that that space mm-hmm. where there's going to be an explosion too many dreams deferred my mm-hmm. man <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Well, as always, um, for each of our personality types, I give a scripture of affirmation and a scripture of uh, caution because all of the personality types have value. We're all created differently. We're all um, functioning differently. And we have to learn to value how other people engage money and see money um, because they all have purpose and reason. Mm -hmm. So um, this particular scripture of affirmation for the flyer personality comes from Hebrews 13, 5. Uh, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So that scripture is basically saying that if you have God, you don't actually need to worry about money because <laughs> he promised to never leave you or forsake you. If you truly believe that, then you don't lose hope. Even when you're broke, that I can coin that. Yeah. Don't lose hope even when, when you're broke. broke. I love it. I love it. I'll make Truth. that a T-shirt. Truth. <laughs> I think it's funny that the chapter before that is one of my most favorite chapters of the Bible. Twelve. Twelve. When it talks about us being pilgrims in this world. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pilgrims, and we are constantly roaming. We. This is not our home. This is not my home. <laughs> This is this is the moment where the churchy people would start shouting. This is not my home. <laughs> Lifting their hands, and all of that. This is the scripture that touches you. When you yes. when it touches you, you got to make the ugly face. <laughs> <laughs> so, scripture um, also gives uh, an, a scripture of caution for not worrying about money um, and or how to basically use it. So it has some perfect purpose. So we're going to come here from Luke 16, nine, where Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So Ooh. basically she's booing Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Get off this day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. So, so, um, she's still here for all of those wondering. She didn't get struck by lightning or anything. He is merciful. But, uh, yes, so if money has a purpose and use it to gain friends in some ways because it will fail you. And mm. when it does fail you, because he didn't say if it fails you. He said when yeah. it fails you, when it's gone. Um you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. So I'm there's a way I can agree with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for correcting that for the people, for all those who are now praying for you and for your soul. Jesus is smart. <laughs> He's very smart. The smartest actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but use your wealth to gain friends, not to make enemies, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people end up doing, using their wealth to make enemies mm-hmm. and make people hate them. Um, mm-hmm. But then when it fails them, then they don't have anywhere to go. Just ask a couple of people who recently got indicted who were very wealthy. Because mm. <laughs> mm. they didn't use their wealth to gain the right friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it failed them. Mm. And now they're in jail. Yes. Uh, so uh, make sure that you are using your wealth wisely. If you are a flyer personality, fear not. Um, you're living the life you want to live. And you don't have to feel bad about that. Um, there's a way to do it. And you call people like me to manage your money. 
Just yes. make sure, you know, you remember to pay me. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> we pay our bills. Yeah. The yeah. ones we value. What could you? <laughs> Just kidding. Wow. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to go ahead and sign off for this week's uh, podcast uh, on Money on Purpose. Um, be sure to stay tuned for our next uh, episode where we're going to talk to risk takers in our uh, actually we got two more to go. So risk taker will be next and then we'll talk about spenders. Um, but this has been Seeking First. Thank you to my guest, Carla Cruel. If you live in the areas where she is running for office, be sure to take a look at her platform. See if you agree. And if you do, cast your vote for her in November. CarlaCruel.com And you can also look up LegalEmpowermentGroup.com so those are all um, available. I'll try to post them when we do uh, post them on our site as well. Uh, Legal Empowerment Group and Carla Cruel. That's Carla with a K and Cruel with a C. KC.com. Um, but thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Seeking First. I'm Shana Harvey. See you next time.